This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, way back on episode 31, so we're talking over 100 episodes ago, we talked about the VACCAP, the Vaccinium Coordinated Agriculture Project. This nationwide effort focuses on addressing bottlenecks that limit the advancement of breeding programs in blueberries and cranberries. So we featured three researchers on that episode, and one of them is back today to provide an update on VACCAP, as well as his perspective on the state of blueberry genetics and breeding programs. So joining me today is Dr. Massimo Yorizzo. Massimo is an associate professor at North Carolina State University, Department of Horticulture Science. His lab works with multiple crops, but blueberries are his primary focus. Massimo, thank you for being back on another episode of The Business of Blueberries. So thank you, Casey, and uh, we'd be glad to talk about uh, some update and new things that are coming up on the project. Well, I'm personally really interested in this episode, so I'm glad I get to host it. I hope our audience is going to really enjoy this update because uh, I know since the last time we spoke, you've been doing a lot of work. And so uh, we should probably start at a place where maybe others uh, would like to play a little catch up as well. But for those who missed that last episode or don't remember, maybe you can just give a background on what is VACAP and what's that project all about? Yeah, so VACAP, it's, a, it's a, a project funded by the USDA NIFA program, and uh, it's a, a $6.4 million grant that was funded in 2019. And the main focus of the project is to understand advanced breeding strategy for uh, improving quality in blueberry and cranberry, but we will talk largely about blueberry today. And then looking at that question from multiple perspectives from genetic perspective, uh, basically doing genetic study from a phenotyping perspective, just evaluating material and what tools we can use to evaluate blueberry quality with, and then from a socioeconomic perspective, and then we have an extension component which basically try to uh, communicate the outcome of the grant. The main component of the quality that we are focusing on for blueberry is the flavor taste and the, the shelf life. And largely because prior the, the grant being funded, we ran a survey nationwide to do all the blueberry commodity group and asking the question, what are the breeding priorities that you see needed to advance uh, cultural development uh, for blueberry? And the you know, we collected about 500 responses and the majority said food quality, in particular shelf life, texture and flavor and taste. So that's why we are focusing on those characteristics for blueberry. What were the other options? So other options will be where disease resistance or tolerance to uh, abiotic stress, you know, heat tolerance, cold tolerance, uh, mechanical harvest, uh, and yield, of course, and we know that yield was coming up as one top one, and, but uh, you need also the quality, uh, the fruit to the quality. What we noted in that survey, mechanical harvest came up as a second important, and 
the disease resistance and the stress response were very, very related to the regions, which is expected. So, you know, some region there is some disease, there is more pressure on some disease, and some region there is some stress, heat stress more on the, on the west side of the country and uh, cold more on the east side of the country. So it was more regional, but fruit quality was consistently top across all the regions. Well, and then you had to break it down. So that's interesting because, you know, when you think about that being the priority, of course, almost like, of course, but then fruit quality is defined differently by so many people in so many ways, right? So then did, did the survey break it down even further for them to, to say what they were referring to when they say fruit quality? Because some people would say it's flavor. Other people would say it's size or so. How did you parse out yeah. that? So the survey, the way that it was structured, that five categories of traits, the fruit quality, and then the disease resistant, the stress, mechanical harvest, and others. And then within each category, then we had all the, the, the group of traits, for example, flavor test, size, color, and then texture, firmness. And then we also included health property. And then the grower or the respondent was going to say, uh, shelf life or texture or uh, or size okay and they had to choose the three top important and the three least important and then the sixth question was then we were asking between fruit quality disease resistance and stress response and mechanical harvest and other others which was another group of trade which one between those is the most important and fruit quality was the most important so then based on the you know this question which one among the category of trait is the most important we identified the fruit quality and then we went into the fruit quality and we looked at the results of within that category which are the the characteristics that they think are the most important and the shelf life texture and the flavor taste were the most important in that order yep wow okay well, this is great background. Like I said, that this project is really helping to spotlight where the priorities are. That's always important. And of course, the work now that goes into the backpack project to determine, you know, how do we achieve the goal of these focus? Uh, talk a little bit about that, you know, in terms of how that has now evolved as a research project for all of you. How are you taking what these priorities mean to the industry and maybe the evolution, because I think if folks go back and listen to our first conversation, not that you were just getting started, but as you're doing the research, the research obviously evolves the project. So so talk about where we're at from our last episode. Yeah. So maybe the easiest, the easiest way to, to go around that question is just to see how the project is articulated. So there is one, one objective of the project. It's developing advanced molecular tool for doing genetics. And then that component, uh, it's where we have invested a lot of energy funding and our expertise on developing resources that are used to do the genetic study. For example, we developed new genomes for Blueberry, and we developed a, a genotyping platform that anybody can use. Indeed, we had seven partners. Uh, we created a consortium where we basically uh, negotiated the price for genotyping as a service to a third party. And then there were seven partners, including private breeding programs that joined the consortium and submitted sample and now are using the platform. So that was a direct delivery for uh, those uh, private companies that, that can uh, use that technology. Then uh, there was a lot of uh, work on, uh, you know, on generating genomic resources. I know it might be a little bit complicated as, you know, a vocabulary or a, you know, it's more basic, seems more basic, but those funding 
this large funding is where we can develop those resources because it's very expensive to develop. And those resources are helping us to navigate now into the genome and identify genes that might be related to fruit characteristics. Very good. Well, that's encouraging. So I want to kind of dig into a little bit here, you know, where you're at with some of the meetings that you just had and, and of course, some of the highlights and takeaways from that. But before we do, let's take a quick break here for our crop report. As the domestic season is ramping up, we have more and more states joining each week. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Darren Wheeler in Georgia, Matt McCree in New Jersey, Elise Oliver in California, TJ Hafner in Oregon, Alan Schreiber in Washington, and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on May 10th, 2023. Good afternoon. My name is Darren Wheeler, and I'll be giving the uh, Georgia crop update from Alma, Georgia. Georgia is now over the peak of the southern highbush crop. Most of the southern regions are finishing up the mid-season varieties such as Star, Emerald, Farthing, and Patricia. The central growing region still has good volumes of those varieties. The southern region has now moved into their first pick of legacy, which is the last of the uh, highbush varieties for Georgia. Most growers report to have adequate labor, stay up with their harvest. Rabbit eye harvest is expected to start around the middle of May with small volumes. And the current fresh forecast for Georgia is 55 million fresh and 20 million processed. And that is my report. This is Matt McCree reporting for New Jersey. Bloom is just about wrapping up here. Bees will be being pulled out most of um, this weekend. The harvest is looking to be around June 10th. The crop set is uh, better than expected. And I did update the prediction for poundage. Uh, we were going to increase 2 million pounds, so that would be a total of 42 million with uh, 38 million fresh, 4 million process. And uh, that's all I have to report. Good morning, everyone. This is Elise Oliver with the California Blueberry Commission here to give the weekly crop report. Our forecast is still unchanged. We're projecting 80 million pounds total with the breakdown of 55 million pounds fresh and 25 million pounds processed. With our strange weather conditions this year and the cooler temperatures, we are still delayed. We are not in um, really the thick of harvest yet. One of our growers described it as they're just kind of watching the, the paint dry at this point. Um, <laughs> so we're hoping that this upcoming week we're going to have temperatures up in the 90s. And so we're thinking that finally we'll be able to, to get in the thick of harvest next week and, and progress from there. Um, but yeah, that's it for California. TJ Hafner from Oregon. Uh, at this point, we're not making any adjustments to the uh, projections for Oregon. Still 165 million pounds total, 90 of which uh, we're anticipating to be fresh, 75 million processed. Overall, uh, the crop really looks, looks good right now, just delayed. Uh, I think pretty much everybody has all their bees in. Most varieties are at that 50 to 100% bloom stage. We are anticipating the crop to be uh, behind this year. Currently, we're still about pretty solid two weeks behind average, I would say. 10-day forecast has a lot of 80 and even a little bit of 90-degree weather in it, so I think soil temperature is increasing, which likely will help us make up some of that ground. But overall, I'd just say uh, you know, average to maybe above average yield, just a little bit delayed coming into the market this year, likely. That's all I got from Oregon. This is Alan Schreiber reporting from Seattle, Washington. 
to put our current situation into context, I'll start out by saying that we had minimal winter injury. We had good to high bud counts early on. All things seemed to point to the potential for a large crop, but it really depended on pollination condition and bees. Well, Duke is in bloom. The early varieties are in bloom across the state. Eastern Washington has, as normal, kind of surged into lead with the start of bloom in Draper and the mid-season varieties. Weather is excellent across the state. And the next week, it's going to be warmer than normal. It will hit on Monday, 97 degrees, uh, which is a little warm. And it's, you know, 97 degrees in West Eastern Washington is like 85 degrees in Western Washington. In Western Washington, uh, those kind of temperatures create a little bit of stress. They're not used to being that warm that early. They're going to have to maybe start irrigating a little more a little earlier however the pollination conditions could not be better than what we have and we have an extended period of optimal pollination conditions um, we are catching up on degree days i was would have said we were two weeks or 14 days behind I would say we're at 10 days behind, and I bet by next week we might be seven days behind. We are catching up. But putting all this together, we still are a little delayed, but we are looking at the potential for a very large crop out of Washington, but that does assume and require normal weather conditions between here and the end of harvest. Hello everyone, here Mario with the Mexican Blueberries Report for week 18 of 2023. For this week, Mexico exported 10,500,000 pounds of fresh blueberries to the United States and another 381,000 pounds to other destinations including Japan, Netherlands, United Kingdom and Arab Emirates. And worldwide, Mexico exported a total of 10,900,000 pounds of fresh blueberries. 7% of this volume was organic blueberries, it means 760,000 pounds. The total exportation grew 16% respecting week 17. We have no data of frozen blueberries exportation for week 18. That's all in my report, thank you very much and we'll see you next week. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry, including our USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, retail sales reports, and much, much more. Make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Okay, we're going to head back to our episode with Massimo Massimo, we were just talking a little bit about, you know, the continuation of the work after Objective 1, kind of wrapping up here. But it sounds like you guys had a meeting recently, about a month ago. And, and so I thought we'd spend a little time talking about what, what was that meeting about? What were the highlights? What are the takeaways from that, that gathering? 
Yeah, so we have a year four annual meeting. We have an annual meeting every year with all the PIs and then some of the stakeholder advisory board that were attending the meeting where basically we present update on the project and also discuss, okay, what did well go well and what we need to look into uh, adjusting or progress make and what is the next step. So overall, uh, uh, you know, we have completed all the field work, let's say, most of the collected all the data, we are analyzing data, um, so then, you know, some highlights, like I said, uh, objective, uh, the genomic resources are advanced. We are delivering some tools for the industry or uh, public or private breeding program to use for genotyping. Uh, then we have made uh, some advance also on some genetic studies. So starting to understand the genetics, the genes, and first of all, asking the question, is there any genetic component that control, for example, organic acid? or uh, anthocyanin accumulation. Yes, there are genetic components that control those traits, and uh, we have identified, for example, region of the genome that regulated accumulation of organic acid, which affect uh, tartarable acidity, which is one of the parameters that the breeder commonly uh, use in the breeding program for selection. So that set up the stage for, okay, we know the region of the genome now, we know that there is a genetic component, what this next step is to identify which is the gene, and then based on that information, we can develop a DNA assay where we can say, okay, these plants will have a high organic acid, this plant will have a low organic acid. Okay, so those are future work, but now we understand that there is a genetic component, we know the region of the genome, and then that set the stage for uh, future work to develop the molecular marker. The same was done for volatiles. Volatiles are components that contribute to the flavor taste. Some preliminary data also on the texture. We have an understanding of the genetic of the texture. It's a very complex trait. Uh, when we talk about firmness of blueberry, the reality is in the technical language we refer, or scientific language, we refer more to texture, not firmness. But it's what a grower would refer to, firmness. Then uh, we started to understand the relationship between when you harvest a blueberry in the field and you store, what is the relationship during the storage between the firmness at the harvest and the after storage? And we see that there is a direct relationship. The firmer are the berry, the firmer will be in storage. Okay. Again, a lot of progress on the genetics. We are starting to see some parameters with the texture analyzer, which is a machine that can accelerate and more precisely identify uh, characteristics or select for berry that can last longer in the storage and be firmer. We got some preliminary data and we, we are putting together now the, you know, the manuscript for that. Uh, we have started to look at some relation between willingness to pay and the characteristics of blueberry. So that is where we are working on. We don't have yet the results, but that is where we are uh, crunching data now. And then uh, the breeding program have been using some of the data that we have collected to select in their breeding program to move selection to advanced selection that had good flavor, that had good texture, that the berry could last longer and they move it in their breeding program in advanced selection so that they can move maybe to a certain point into cultivars. That is more related to probably to health property. We now understood the reason why blueberry is blue, it's because there are these chemicals in the berry that are called anthocyanins. 
and those have been associated with the health benefits that come with blueberry consumption okay so now before we didn't know what were the genetic component controlling anthocyanin accumulation blueberry and if there was any genetic component now you we know that there are four major regions of the blueberry genome that control the accumulation of these metabolites and in particular there is one region that regulate the accumulation of specific forms of anthocyanin so blueberry has a very complex pattern of anthocyanin there are between 19 to 20 type of anthocyanin okay and then some of these anthocyanin are we call isolated that means that there is the basic structure chemical structure and there is an addition to that structure that is called the acyl group so there is a major a major locus in the genome that regulate the addition of a, that that group and basically regulate those uh, those plants that are high in isolated anthocyanin or lower in isolated anthocyanin and this can have an effect on the health property in the term of being less or more stable through the digestion when we eat the blueberry so then in general anthocyanin that are more isolated have high isolation they are more stable through the digestion system then potentially can be that we absorb more of those metabolites in our gut system and basically are in circulation when you eat blueberry so potentially having a higher health outcome so we went from not knowing anything about the genetics of anthocyanin blueberry to now understanding a good amount of that genetics and then we also identified some potential genes that are contributing some to that genetics for somebody working on grant like this going from no nothing to understanding the genetics already it's for us a big step because research take a lot of time and it's time consuming process and then it's a step by step we we achieved one step well it's it's a huge step because i i i was on a recent podcast with court at uh, fall creek and and we were talking about just how the market is responding to essentially kind of a a tier of quality in the marketplace and so you know there's a premium berry out there of course is what kind of generically we're talking whether that's a size or it's a flavor you know but there's a there's a certain variety type that can command a price because it's a recognized quality characteristic that uh, a buyer is looking for so we're starting to see what we referred to in that podcast episode as a as a tiered pricing model based on varieties that that are just coming from research like this but you know, when I talk you know, to general audiences about blueberries, I'll say something like, you know, if, you've, if you're enjoying blueberries today, just wait five years from now because, you know, those quality characteristics are getting further and further fine-tuned in this area of primary flavor and taste and texture and firmness, et cetera. But, but what you're talking about is another evolution of study that does dive into what, I mean, generically you could say is a super, super premium or, you know, a super healthy premium. And I just wanted to get your take on, on you've gone from nothing to, wow, we can, we can see this now. So then what's next? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's open. Another, uh, probably I, I can talk a little bit about another part of my research program that it's not necessarily tied into the backup and where we basically, uh, you know, we in another research project and part of my, my program with a collaborator food scientist, what we started to ask the question is, and we did in Blueberry, 
but we did also in other crops. So most of the research that when we talk about the nutritional benefits of, of a crop, vegetable, fruit, or blueberry, for example, most of the efforts in research for improving that nutritional trait, let's say, has been focused largely on content of certain specific nutrient or metabolites. For example, in blueberry has been focused on the content of the anthocyanin, or uh, in some other crops could have been on the amount of carotenoid, which make, for example, carrot to be orange. So what we are noticing, what we started to ask the question, does the content, it's the, the main importance, or there are other factors like the structure of those metabolites or other factors that we don't understand yet that affect actually the health, uh, potential health outcome. So the potential health outcome, you know, from a, a scientific uh, view, it's uh, broken down in three components, okay? And basically, if you look at those three components, it's basically how you, how you eat your, your fruit and vegetable. So the first component, it's called the bioaccessibility. So how much of those nutrients, when we eat, come out of after digestion, after we digest a fruit or vegetable, blueberry, and go in, our, in the digestion system, how much of those good chemicals that provide health property are released in the gut system? That is called bioaccessibility. Then we have another component that is called bioaccessibility. Once they are released in the, in the digestion system, what is the fraction that go in the circulation system that basically pass the intestine and go, it absorbed and go in the bloodstream, right? So that is called bioaccessibility. And then the third component, it's the bioactivity. So once those metabolites, those chemicals are in, the, in circulation, they reach their target and they might have a health effect, which could be blood pressure or others, okay? So these are the three ways that usually food scientists or, you know, human scientists, they look at the health outcome from a fruit or vegetable. So then the question that we made was, does the genotype has an effect on these health outcomes, okay? Independently of the amount of those metabolites. And the answer is that we are getting it's yes. There is a genetic component in the plant that regulate the health outcome. So which open the possibility in the future to start to do research on a genetic component for selecting for the health outcome, not necessarily for the content of those metabolites that are in the, in the berry. And one example is the, is the anthocyanin work that we did. So we, we made a study where we looked at the anthocyanin these molecules that are providing health benefits, uh, multiple be health benefits, and then we ask the question, if I evaluate 60 different cultivars of, of a blueberry and I measure the bioaccessible anthocyanin, is there an effect of the cultivars? Okay, and we see that there is a strong effect of the cultivars. That means that the component is independent of the content of the anthocyanin that is in the blueberry and could be selected for. Another thing that we noted is that the structure of the anthocyanin has an effect. So the acylated anthocyanin are more bioaccessible than non-acylated anthocyanin. And then link it back to the genetics when we did the study, the genetic study on the anthocyanin genetics, then we found the region 
and a gene that basically it's an enzyme in the genome, in the blueberry genome, that basically make the acylation reaction. So basically add this acylation group. Theoretically, in the future, would this open the door to ask the question, okay, can we then select for cultivar that have high and lower acylation of anthocyanin? And then does this affect the health outcome? Okay, those are questions for future, but one step was made. We asked the question, where is the genetics? Another question, does this affect the, the amount of anthocyanin that it's released in our gut system? It does. Then pass the ball to the next question that we can now pose. Can we then start to select for that? And does affect the, the let's say, the bioactivity or the bioaccessibility of the anthocyanin? Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I think about just, you know, the, the comparison in my mind would be, taking your daily multivitamin that, you know, maybe providing more than the body needs, whether that's in uh, bioavailability and then the bioactivity related to that, that multivitamin. But what you're talking about is how, how you may be increasing it, you know, maybe the body doesn't need all of it, but how much of what you are changing in essentially that in the genetics of a blueberry that would make it even healthier than it is or healthier than it ever was in how you breed for right. future plants. Right. And the other thing is that so far, probably there was no much questioning about doesn't matter if I eat a blueberry that has high isolated endocyanin. And maybe now that we know that matter, you can start to ask the question, OK, doesn't matter if I treat uh, somebody eat blueberry with high isolated endocyanin and somebody with low isolated endocyanin does have a, a higher health outcome or not or do I uptake more in my body? Does that affect the possibility of improving the health outcome? And, you know, this question can be expanded to other area where, for example, anti-cancer activity, you know, or any other activity of this metabolite in general, in fruit and vegetable, I'm making the example of blueberry, but this could apply to any fruit and vegetable, where you, instead of breeding and selecting only for the content, you start to select for the health outcome not for the content. This is fascinating. I mean, we could keep going here. I really want to unpack a little bit what, what you're talking about there. But unfortunately, we're going to just have to have you back on a regular basis, Massimo. You know, this is uh, an area that I think when I talk about the future of blueberries, you know, that, that there is so much runway. And I'm not just, you know, usually I'm referring to the household penetration rate or the fact that we need to increase uh, per capita consumption, which should be pretty easy to do considering where we're at as a baseline. So a lot more people could be eating blueberries, but these are the reasons, right? These are the things that we put in front of consumers that are giving them more inspiration of putting something healthy in their mouth. And blueberries just have a fascinating story to tell. And we're not done telling it. And we're still working on what else is this fruit really going to be known for? And, and it's really incredible. So really quickly, I just thought we would wrap up with just saying, what are the next steps? What's the next step for VACCAP, you know, for uh, the milestones that you have set for this project? Right, so we are in year four. We, we will extend one year because of the challenge we had during the COVID period. So then we will uh, we will end the next year. During this time, what we are working now, it's really pushing on releasing as much information as possible that came out of the grant. You know, when we talk about preliminary data, sometimes are preliminary, but the reality is when we go into publications and those are evaluated by other scientists, it's where we kind of validate our review process and then we say okay those are findings that are 
uh, you know, validated and it's an important step for us, okay, to make that uh, information available. And then, uh, uh, you know, early next year, uh, end of this year, we will start to talk about what is the next round of project that we want to develop, a follow-up uh, backup project. So we are already starting to think about backup too. It's a very uh, natural uh, thinking. The, the group is very strong. We coordinate research uh, nationwide and uh, um, you know focus heavily on what are the uh, the question that the challenge of the industry another thing that we will be doing and we are doing it's collecting priority industry priority basically asking the industry stakeholders what are the breeding priority again so we did in 2015 but now maybe those priorities have changed so then we are going back and ask again what are the breeding priority today and there are areas where we expect to see some, some change, especially in the area of mechanical harvest. I hear more and more and more the grower having challenge with the labor and mechanical harvest seems to become more and more important. But we are addressing now those questions to the growers and we will be doing this fall asking those questions, are the, what are the bring priority again? So that then we can base our next round of funding on what are the priority of the industry, because I think that is key. It's to assess the industry, what are the priority of the industry to spend federal funding. Well, and, and I think, you know, we're happy to help and continue to support this work and its effort to, you know, continue to expand on what people know about blueberries. And I think that's part of what we're, we're talking about here is just that, you know, we're, we keep turning a corner in this evolution of understanding and that we just need to keep going forward. And it's really exciting. And I appreciate the opportunity to sit down today and talk a little bit about VACAP. Obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, some of those characteristics that, you know, this work you're doing, the work of VACAP is trying to accomplish on behalf of the industry. And of course, a lot more work to be done. And uh, it's really exciting. So I appreciate your time today. We're going to have you back. Um, but is there anything else you want to share before I let you go? Yeah, I want to just uh, say thank you to all those that have contributed to provide any support or have, have been uh, uh, helping and collaborating with us, including the Nord the Council uh, that has supported in many different ways the work we are doing, but also anybody that has maybe never uh, never seen, never met me, but have uh, interacted in any way with the VACAP, but not only the VACAP, all the Blueberry research community, because the support and the input from the industry is key for advancing research and make that research available and useful for uh, for this community. Well, I appreciate your time today. We're going to have you back. We're going to keep talking about this and uh, look forward to what more you find as you continue to the, uh, this important work on behalf of our industry. So thank you, Massimo. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for episode 135. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.